This is Mishmash, a weekly conversation where we unjumble an important and sometimes under-the-radar statewide issue that affects you. We are going to be talking a lot uh, in the years to come, probably, about this election and what happened here in Michigan. And uh, we wanted to break down sort of maybe some ways that things are different this time around than four years ago. That's right. Four years ago, we were in the middle of what we thought was then probably going to be maybe the most historic election. And we brought on two people who have been covering both. There's Emily Lawler from MLive and Lauren Gibbons from MLive, two of my good friends, uh, amazing political reporters. Hello, Emily. Hey. Hi, Lauren. Hello. Uh, Emily, let's start with you. I wanted to know your thoughts on sort of Michigan specifically. How have the votes shaped out in Michigan different this time around as compared to 2016? Well, I think the first thing is that turnout is incredibly up. Um, We had record high turnout this election, um, partially, I think, due to some of the changes we ushered in in 2018, um, including same day registration and no reason absentee. So A lot of people came out. um, And then the other thing is, of course, that the Democrat won instead of the Republican when we're looking at generic candidates here. And I would say thing number three is that the margin was a lot bigger. Um, I actually haven't looked at the the latest totals, but that 10,700 vote margin in 2016 was extremely, extremely close. Um, It's it's tens of thousands as opposed to (laughs) thousands of votes that separated this time. And Lauren, what are your big takeaways uh, and how this election shaped out a little bit differently uh, than in 2016? Well, in 2016, um, at least in Michigan anyway, things were very tight, but uh, we were not waiting quite as long to have a projection, um, at least in Michigan and throughout the country, honestly. I recall uh, everyone pretty much knew uh, who the president was going to be pretty soon. And that also goes back to what Emily was saying about absentee ballots. They do take longer to count because you have to open the envelope. There's a lot more process. But um, I think we're also seeing, at least with the initial returns, that Michigan was not quite as close as it was in 2016. That was a just over a 10,000 vote margin. And now we're seeing that Biden likely carried it uh, by a lot more votes uh, based on the unofficial uh, result totals. But I think the other major difference, of course, as everyone's been following, is uh, the president's uh, apparent rejection of what the initial returns are showing. And uh, I think that we will see more legal challenges in the weeks and perhaps even into the next month. Would you both say that maybe one of the biggest game changers for this election in particular was probably the absentee voting? Do you think that made maybe one of the biggest deals this election? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm curious to see if that holds, because I think the the main reason um, we saw such a huge spike in absentees other than that 2018 change I mentioned uh, was, of course, the pandemic. (laughs) And, you know, I would be uh, surprised and also devastated if there was a pandemic going on four years from now. So I'm curious to see how many people stick with absentee versus how many people were using it because of their public health concerns this time around. Yeah, um, even before COVID-19, when uh, the 2018 ballot proposal passed, everyone was already projecting there would be an increase in absentee ballots, especially among young voters, because no reason absentee really opened that door for young people who weren't necessarily having a reason to vote absentee. Uh, Same-day registration was also a huge change, uh, not 
talked about quite as much, but especially for those, you know, young college students, uh, that makes it so much easier for them to vote. Uh, not saying that they're the only ones who use same day registration, but uh, that demographic takes good advantage of it. Um, so, so those two changes, even before the pandemic, were expected to make a difference, um, but clearly it made a huge difference. So I agree with Emily, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how that changes. One of the things that I've been thinking a lot about over the last couple of days is Macomb County. We talked a lot about Macomb County uh, four years ago, and we've been talking about it since. Um, and this election has been really interesting because it doesn't necessarily seem like Macomb County has been the bellwether of the state the same way that it has in the past, that um, you know, Joe Biden won Michigan and the margin was not nearly as close as it was before. But Trump had coattails in in Macomb County. And I think that, you know, it's not so much a story just about Macomb County going more red. It's sort of about, I think, and I'm wondering what you guys think about this, the state parts of the state becoming maybe more dug in to where they were before and the directions that they were going four years ago. What do you think of that? Yeah, I think that's absolutely a, a sage assessment. Um, I remember in 2018, I was looking at Macomb County because they'd been such a strong uh, Republican turnout for Trump. And I was looking at the shooty Whitmer race at that point. Um, and uh, Macomb County ended up going for Whitmer. But I remember people warning me as I was writing that story that Macomb's uh, reliability as a bellwether was fading. <laughs> and I think that in 2020, I may have uh, seen how smart some of my sources were. So hat tip to them. Um, but every everyone makes their best guesses. And then the people <laughs> who happen to be right are right. You know, <laughs> that's about all you can say about that. Well, with guesses, we're going to have to devote a different segment to polling, I think. Yeah. Yes, 100%. <laughs> but yeah, I think you're right that some of these areas are getting pretty dug in. And um, I think that Democrats saw that in that they were expecting a little bit of a wave election. They were expecting a lot of down ballot effect from Joe Biden. Um, the margin was bigger than Trump's, but it wasn't huge coattails. The state house um, stayed under Republican control. And that was the one prize that I think uh, Democrats were uh, cautiously optimistic about going in and, and didn't come out with. Yeah, and I was actually thinking about uh, the state house races because that did kind of show a couple of interesting shifts. The two pickups for Republicans were in Bay and Genesee counties, which were pretty historically Democratic and two Democratic incumbents lost. But then you also saw Democrats pick up two gains in uh, the southeastern Michigan area. And that um, that really shows that there are, um, you know, we've started noticing some demographic shifts in 2016 about how certain groups of voters' attitudes were changing. And uh, especially in those uh, down-ballot races, you started to see that. Now, I think what ultimately made the biggest difference in Michigan this time around was voter turnout for Democrats. Um, that was always going to be the key. Um, in 2016, uh, Detroit and Wayne County generally, uh, voter turnout was very depressed compared to previous cycles. And this time around, you know, it, it just blew expectations out of the water um, due to a lot of factors, but that was really what Democrats needed. Uh, to make up not only that 20 or excuse me, that 10,000 vote gap, but then to add a cushion into it. And while we're talking about areas, I was really kind of surprised with how Kent County, the way that Kent County went. I mean, you saw that 
in an area that has sort of been written off a lot recently as being Republican, you know, it didn't go for Donald Trump, granted by small margins. It didn't go for John James, again, by small margins. But I think we're really starting to see a shift in the Kent County area, particularly. And I think that's probably in large part because the city of Grand Rapids, we're getting in, and I say we because now I live here, uh, we're getting in more younger people. We're getting in... um, you know, just they're, they're sort of heading into this growing city. Uh, but it was interesting because we still had a Republican take that Justin Amash seat that was open, Peter Meyer. And I think that it's it, I think West Michigan might be kind of turning into one of the areas to watch in future elections. Yeah, I, I see it sort of as a, you know, in Oakland County, when the, the 8th mm-hmm. and 11th flipped in um, 2018, I think that people sort of focused on Oakland as a, a purpling story. Um, some of those suburban, actually, I see it more as a suburban um, issue than a than an urban issue. The city of Grand Rapids itself has always been a little bit more liberal, but I think that's spreading out into the suburbs. And I, I think that people who were watching closely in 2018 kind of, um, you know, saw Whitmer take that county again, saw... Um, the, the vote sh- shift a little bit. It had shifted a little bit in 2016 as well. So I think there was sort of this gradual purpling going on and uh, it turned into somewhat of a, a bluing. So, <laughs> <laughs> so many colors. I think, um, I think Peter Myers' win was certainly a bright spot for Republicans. Mm-hmm. I think we're a little saddened by the fact that they couldn't win some of these statewide votes. I think it showed them, you know, there are still... Uh, Republican voters in that region um, who would support their candidates if provided the right message. Um, So I I do think that that is certainly going to be a region to watch, um, you know, as, you know, Grand Rapids, uh, if it gets bigger or if it gets more influential in the overall county, um, in addition to, you know, where those suburban attitudes are going, Um, you know, are Democrats going to be able to continue uh, making inroads in that area. Um, it will be it will be really interesting. To you know, see. Um, not to date this podcast, uh, but you know, I should mention we are uh, recording this on Friday, November sixth, right now, and a lot is up in the air. A lot is changing rapidly. Something that is on my mind, I, I have to admit, I maybe I'm watching a little bit too much cable news, and I hope that that's the case, but. Um, <laughs> You know, I'm curious what you you guys are hearing, Emily and Lauren in Lansing, if anything, about some of the more extreme reactions uh, that we're hearing from other Republicans nationally about uh, the election that, um, you know, we heard uh, Lindsey Graham go on cable news and suggest that the legislature in Pennsylvania could, um, you know, ignore the vote and and actually uh, appoint its own electors. Are you hearing anything in Lansing right now that give you any indication of, um, you know, what what the uh, situation might be here? No, I, I think that, you know, this this is a close election, but it's not that close. And I think is a point yeah. I made earlier. And, um, you know, I don't think that you really have a, a will of the people sort of torn argument of any sort. I, I think that you know, the voter intent in this election is clear. um, And I don't think that the, uh, you know, there would be any sort of, uh, you know, legal or moral ground, I guess, for the the legislature to step in and try to change it. I I haven't heard anything like that. But I have heard um, people raising concerns about um, basically what 
um, the Trump campaign had raised concerns about in their lawsuit against the state, which was sort of this meaningful access for for poll watchers. I've heard people um, talk about what I've come to think of uh, as the, I guess, uh, misinformation, inanimate object uh, stars of this election, the Sharpie and the wagon. In Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, I've certainly, <laughs> certainly seen misinformation flying, um, but you know, I think for all intents and purposes, the the people who watch elections in Michigan expected this to go exactly how it did go. Um, perhaps not down to the T, perhaps not down to that little bit of a lack of coattails I talked about for Joe Biden, but certainly for how the votes came in and the process of, of how they were counted. Yeah, and I'll just add, um, you know, it it's a resolution, so it's not necessarily binding. But earlier this year, um, there was a resolution passed in the Michigan Senate that they would abide by the will of the voters. I forget exactly the language, but uh, there was language added into a resolution that was ultimately passed by the Senate that they would honor the electorate. And I would have a really hard time seeing Michigan lawmakers uh, take such a drastic step. Um, and I would frankly, you know, have a hard time seeing any electors take such a drastic step that would indicate that politics, um, you know, has kind of gone further off the rails than I personally have ever seen in my short life. But it would, um, I, I would just be very, very shocked if that happened here in Michigan. Um, I, I don't think, you know, you haven't heard too much from Republicans yet. Um, they're, they're still, you know, kind of having the reactions, although they did, you know, they, they did um, acknowledge their victories in the Michigan House and elect their speaker. But I, I would really have a hard time not seeing them taking the L graciously here. You know, although I will say that John James yesterday raised that is one notable exception. I was more <laughs> I was more referring to the state lawmakers who uh, who have yeah. to pick the electorate here, but there there are a couple of um, outstanding candidates that uh, don't seem to have conceded yet. But again, it's Friday. We'll see what happens. Um, you know, as things become more clear. Before we wrap up, um, you know, as reporters, we all covered uh, the 2016 election and now the 2020 election. And this year's election for us as reporters was very, very different experience than last time because of COVID. Uh, I think we were all pretty much reporting and doing our work from our homes or Jake, maybe from the studio. Uh, but 2016 was very, very different we were out and about. Um, and so I just wanted to end with each of us going around and saying, you know, what was our election night like in 2016? Or what is like your an interesting memory from 2016 as we look back um, comparing 2016 to 2020? I already know that Jake's is the coolest. <laughs> we'll save it for last, I guess. <laughs> but I actually... Um was sent to the uh, Trump victory party in Lansing, which was in a sort of loft above a bar, um, but it was part of the bar. That sounded weird. Uh, <laughs> and uh, the scene there was just honestly some of the purest joy that I've seen in politics. Uh, I arrived sort of as it was clear the polls were tipping and the states that Trump needed to tip were tipping toward him. 
And um, I got there and just their, their sense of absolute joy was actually really, you know, inspiring to see a lot of the people who work on campaigns that, um, you know, we get to know are, are just so passionate about what they do. And it was an inspiring scene. Everyone was the happiest they've ever been <laughs> was my <laughs> read. Um, and then I followed them back to Trump's Lansing uh, headquarters. And um, yeah, I honestly, I had a really, I had a good night. I was, I was surrounded by people who loved what they did and loved the results. <laughs> <laughs> I will go next because I had the opposite uh, at least experience. <laughs> well, okay. So uh, actually Lauren and I were both in Grand Rapids uh, the night before slash into election day. We both covered uh, President Trump's final rally in Grand Rapids, which he repeated again in 2020. Uh, so I actually then went from Grand Rapids to Lansing and then from Lansing to Detroit. And I was covering the Democratic Party's uh, watch party in Detroit. And it started out very optimistic. Everybody was feeling great. Everybody, you know, they really thought they had this in the bag. And then slowly as the night went on, I couldn't find people, you know, like as reporters, we're always trying to find, you know, like, like the, you know, the important lawmakers and things like that. Like, hey, how are you feeling? How are things going? They disappeared. I couldn't find them. <laughs> and the room just got quieter and quieter and quieter as results came in. The music even got lower. And I will never forget this. As I was finally, like, wrapping things up because it was clearly going a certain way, it was well after midnight, uh, I was going back upstairs to my room at the hotel where the party was taking place. And I see a woman in a chair in the hallway just sobbing and in tears and a, and a man in a suit just kind of standing over her patting her shoulder and she is crying and as I'm walking away I just hear her sob is Donald Trump our president and that is something I will never forget I mean it she was just the complete embodiment of the Democratic Party mm. that night um yeah, it and, was. And Shana, it was... <laughs> uh, just correct me if I'm wrong, but for people who don't know, I think you had just started your job covering politics, and you were taking over. For me, I, I had just come come to WDET, uh, and I think I remember getting uh, text messages from you that night saying, "Is this normal? Like, do why why are yes, people why yes. do people just disappear?" <laughs> and I'm like, was... "Why would like I no." I don't think it's normal it for people just to disappear. <laughs> it was. It was. I had just started working in July. So like I like right when everything was taking off with the Trump campaign was when I started. And I very yes, I remember texting you, Jake, going like, Am I gonna get fired? I can't find anybody. <laughs> yeah. I'm supposed to be talking to people. I don't know where they are. And I thought it was me because I didn't know what these people looked like because mm -hmm. I hadn't been around. I remember long that feeling, yes. And Jake's like, I'll try and find some people for you. And then he's texting me back going like, no, nobody's there. <laughs> so, Lauren, what about you? Yeah, in I, I can't explain to you enough how different the experience was from 2016 to 2020 for me. So the night before, uh, I covered back to back Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump rallies in Grand Rapids. And in between that, there was like a couple of hours and I actually got uh, got Mexican food with Shayna. It was magical. Which was the last moment where I was not 
exceedingly ill. I had some sort of a viral, just disgusting, disgusting illness that I assume just came on because of all the stress leading up to that point. And so as I was sitting there covering this Donald Trump rally, which went late into the night, mm-hmm. I'm on stage until 1 a.m., I just had this snot gushing down my nose. It was so unpleasant and horrible. <laughs> Uh, the next morning, I woke up uh, in my hotel room, trying, ready to get back to Lansing and cover the results from there. And I don't think that I got up until 1045. <laughs> I was so sick. And my bosses were like, normally we'd say that you should just stay home, but you got to come in, man. This is the big day. <laughs> I was sitting in the corner of the MLive offices. I was not at any watch parties. <laughs> I was sitting in the corner trying not to infect any of my other coworkers surrounded by orange juice and medication and God knows what else it was it was a kind of a nightmare so this this selection cycle I was home well and uh, you know so there were, I was just like you know it's it's very different um, and a lot of people are worried about being ill right now, but you know, <laughs> I was going to say in very different ways, viruses defined both of your election nights <laughs> between this and four years ago. Yeah, I, it's, uh, it's definitely bookmarked, uh, this, this, uh, presidential cycle. I'm getting the, the zoom doom countdown right here. I know, so I got to like make this minutes. a little quick, but, um, so, so my story is, is, uh, as, as, uh, Emily alluded to earlier, um, you know, looking back on it, it it's like the like if that were happening in a during a pandemic, it's like the biggest nightmare scenario you could possibly cook up. Right. It's an election night party in a bar. I was in a bar <laughs> with a bunch of Republicans. And this is the this is the thing um, that people have to remember is, is that in 2016, Republicans were not expecting to have a good night. And so usually they have these huge uh, election night parties um, in either a convention hall or at a casino. Uh, Democrats had theirs, but Republicans weren't having theirs. So that w- they sort of broke up, which is why Emily was at a different Republican watch night party. I was at another one um, that was sponsored by, I think, Elbrooks Patterson up in Waterford or Pontiac at this bar. And, um, you know, no one was expecting to have a great night. And uh, I was sitting there at like a little booth with like four or five other reporters and like one of those like big like uh, semicircle booths, you know what I'm talking about that they have at, at a lot of dive bars. And so and, and we were just watching returns come in. And uh, I just remember watching the New York Times um, ticker or the 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 probability the thing needle? go go from in the 90 percentile to from from um, Hillary Clinton to Donald Trump. And as that me- needle was moving, the bar was getting more and more raucous. And uh, I can't say whether or not um, uh, certain beverages had anything to do with that. Um, I'm, I'll withhold judgment, uh, at least for the podcast purposes. But uh, yeah, it was it was crazy. It was a surreal moment. Right. I mean, it was sort of I mean, walking into that bar at the beginning of the night, um, it, it felt a little depressing because uh, it was just filled with people that were expecting not to win. And, uh, you know, by the end of the night, it was a party. <laughs> as, as Emily said, it was like 
this this uh, huge level of joy from people and uh, a lot of gloating, a lot of, uh, you know, just sort of uh, I, I don't even know how to describe it. But, um, uh, you know, going up and, and asking uh, questions of Bill Schuette and uh, and and L. Brooks Patterson and Ron, Romney McDaniel uh, was was kind of surreal because uh, again I don't think any of them were prepared for those conversations although they were in a, in good spirits let's say. All right, Emily Lawler and Lauren Gibbons, amazing reporters with M Live. Thank you so much for coming on Mishmash. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Well, that's all for Mishmash this week. I'm Jake Neer. And I'm Shana Roth. Thanks for tuning in. Bye-bye.